through, uh, I'm sorry, 18 through 22, not 8. As you know, we're talking about discipleship today, and that's always an issue for us because it's something that is demanded of us each and every day. What does it mean to be a disciple, and am I being uh, that disciple that Jesus wants me to be? Today, Jesus is going to point out to us two flaws in two would-be disciples. So we're going to meet two people that want to be his disciples, and Jesus, who knows everything, is going to point out the flaws in their request. Both of these men make grand statements of fidelity and commitment to Jesus, and neither of them is fit to follow him. In fact, their pledges to commitment to Christ are superficial at best. What is the cost of discipleship when it comes to our following Jesus Christ? What is the cost of discipleship that Jesus wants us to be willing to pay? Who really has taken into consideration the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus has some very pointed and hard things to say about this issue. We want to look at some of them today. First, I want you to go to Luke 14. So hang on to the Matthew passage, but just uh, something there in Luke 14, verses 26 to 33. Jesus says this to uh, some disciples who are being tested by him. And I'm in, uh, again, uh, Luke 1426. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he has wants to build a, uh, build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is unable to finish, all who see that will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king is there when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with his 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him who has 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up his own possessions. Wow. Who does not give up his own possessions. I like to think of myself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Maybe you think that way of yourself as well. Am I really? Are you really? This stuff is difficult, and I, I need to ask myself, what kind of a disciple am I? When stacked up against what Jesus has set forward for his disciples, where do I fit in? Now, I don't think that I'm much of one when I look at some of these things that he's talking about in this passage. Are you ever bothered about this issue like I have been? Have you ever been bothered about, am I being the disciple Jesus wants me to be? Am I living the way he wants me to live? Am I putting him first? in a way that he wants to be put first. We all know that the bar has been set very high for us as disciples by the master. Well, what do we do? How should we live? Do we throw up our hands and quit? Or do we, by his help, keep moving forward? Do we, by his help, keep going forward with, with Jesus Christ? Our text today is Matthew 8, 18 to 22. And here's what Jesus says. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. 
Then a scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury the dead. We're going to stop there and look at what the scripture has for us today in our uh, first part. If you're following along in the bulletin, our point number one, we learned that a disciple of Jesus must be willing to forego basic comforts in order to follow him. So one of the first things we're going to ask is, am I really willing to give up some basic comforts to follow Jesus? Or am I going to demand a lot of, of things from him? I have talked to missionaries overseas and actually one young man from our own church that worked a long time at a mission, and he said, I just hate to have church young people come and work at this mission. I said, well, why? And he said, because they come here wanting most to be served and not to serve. They don't like the accommodations, they don't like the food, and I'm sick and tired of their griping and complaining, and I wish they would just not come if that's what they want. Jesus Christ mentions here that our comfort is not the reason we serve or don't serve. It shouldn't be an issue. In verse 18, Jesus has been healing many people in Capernaum, uh, Peter's hometown. There is a huge crowd around the Lord. There is no end to the people who want healing. Jesus was a human being as well as being fully God, and he got tired uh, like the rest of us do. I mean, the, if you can imagine, somebody finds out that Jesus can heal people. Everybody that's sick for miles and miles around is going to want to come and have him heal them. And it's just wave after wave of people. Uh, Mark chapter 6 and verse 31 talks about this. <clears throat> It said, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. Uh, parenthetically, the author tells us, for there were many people coming and going, all right, to gain relief from their toil of, of their sickness. And they did not even have time to eat. So there's so many people coming for healing, we don't even have time to take a break to eat. In verse 32, they went away in a boat to a secluded place, a wilderness place by themselves. Ministry can be very tiring. It can wear you out, and you can get tired of it because it's just one need after another that people present to, to you while you're trying to minister, and you need to get rest. You need to get away. You need to find some respite from that, and Jesus was no different. Well, here he gave orders for the men to prepare to depart to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, to the country of the Gadarenes. In verse 19, a scribe, meaning a teacher of the law, comes to Jesus and makes a statement of commitment to him. And he said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, that's quite a commitment. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you decide to go. I'm in. I'm with you. Now, what we need to know about this is that Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Matthew designates anybody who calls Jesus a teacher as those who don't really believe in Jesus Christ, who don't really have faith in Jesus Christ, when they say teacher, it, it belies the fact that they don't have faith in him as Savior. When someone uses that de designation for Jesus, that person lacks true belief. Now, that's true in Matthew. It's not, not necessarily true in the rest of the synoptic Gospels. The expectation to this is that uh, we would see people that know Jesus not calling him that. The, other except, the exception to this is when Jesus is actually teaching 
about what a teacher is in Matthew 10, 24, uh, that we understand uh, he's not using it in that way. So there's one exception to that. This is a broad claim on the scribe's part. Hey, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And it would mean giving up his personal comfort in order to follow Jesus. Are we willing to give up anything to follow Jesus? Are we willing to give up our comfortable home, uh, our comfortable car? Uh, are we willing to give up those kinds of things to follow Jesus? Uh, this was a broad claim on this man's part. Now, the issue is, why does he want to follow Jesus? We could ask ourselves the same question. Why do you want to follow Jesus? Is he attracted to Jesus' power? Is that what brings him here? Or does he want to be around a popular person? Everybody really likes Jesus. He wants to be there at this point. Is his heart motive right in wanting this? Jesus has a way because he's the son of God, and the spirit of God indicates things to him that he otherwise couldn't know. He knows that this disciple has a problem. He says, I'll follow wherever you want me to go. But Jesus knows in his heart that really isn't the truth. So Jesus, in verse 20, by the Spirit's guiding, knows exactly uh, what the would-be disciple issue is uh, about being a follower. And what the issue is, is this. The issue is, this man has not considered the personal cost that is demanded of a, of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So Jesus gives this answer. It seems kind of strange that this is the way he would answer, but it's because he knows the man who said he'd follow him anywhere does have a problem, and that is he is not considered the personal cost of following Jesus. So Jesus answers this way, the foxes of the field have holes in which to sleep. Now, for a person, that's not the greatest of accommodation, but for a fox, it's pretty good. And he says that the birds of the air, <coughs> excuse me, have places to roost, unless, that is, they try to roost in Noel's carport at the parsonage, uh, underneath the carport or on the uh, drain spouts. They're not going to last long. But for the most part, uh, they just nest wherever they want. Jesus says the foxes have a place to stay. The birds there, they have a place to stay. But the Son of Man does not have any place he calls home. We're out in the ministry. We're moving around. I don't have great accommodations. And if you want to go with me, you need to count the cost. The Son of Man has no place, he says, to lay his head. <coughs> Excuse me. He has no home. Now, this is the first time that Matthew used that designation of Jesus, Son of Man. This is the first time it's come out in this book. Uh, it is probably used here to emphasize the humanity of Jesus Christ, and it shows that he needs care in physical areas like every human being does. Did Jesus get tired? Of course he got tired. Did Jesus get hungry? Absolutely he went through times of getting hungry. All right, were there times he was so tired he couldn't hardly keep going? Yes, why? Because he's a human being, and uh, because he was a human being, he had things that happened to him that happened to us. And everybody uh, that is physical knows what Jesus went through because he was physical too. <clears throat> I want to say something about this designation uh, of the Son of Man. If you go to uh, Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 7, this is prophetic material in the book of Daniel, and here it talks about uh, the Son of Man, who we know as Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 13, Daniel in his vision, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. This is a designation of Messiah, one like the son of man. And it's emphasizing his humanity was coming, not to say he's not God. 
And he came up to the Ancient of Days. He came up to the Father and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Well, there's been no kingdom on earth like that. This is yet future with the King of Kings, with the Messiah, and his kingdom will last forever. But he's emphasizing that he is also a man, not just God. That way Jesus can identify with our problems. There's over 32 verses in the New Testament that talk about how Jesus was rejected by people. You have problems feeling rejected? I just want you to know Jesus knows exactly what that feels like, and Jesus can, can bring comfort to that. So the scribe hadn't thought that through. What he's learning is that on this mission trip, Jesus is not going to provide any five-star accommodations for us to stay in while we're out there suffering for Jesus. And so I'm sure this scribe inside went, uh-oh, maybe I don't want to sign up for this. Maybe that's not where I want to go. The scribe's commitment to the ministry of Jesus ends because he is not willing to give up his creature comforts to follow Jesus. The accommodations will not accommodate his desires. A couple of uh, uh, professors talked to this particular issue. The first one is Dr. David Turner, and he said this. Here it, is here it is described as a strange situation. Even though Jesus is exalted and a miracle-working God and the Messiah, he is a homeless, itinerant preacher, deprived of basic creature comforts. I just want you to know that Jesus lived out what he's going to call you and I to do. He doesn't call us to do something that he's not willing to do. Another quote from uh, Craig Blomberg is here, and it says this, at a deeper level, Jesus' disciples must recognize that no location on earth affords a true home. Our citizenship is in heaven, which is what Philippians 3.20 says. And life on earth as lived as strangers is the life God called us to, to sojourn as exiles in the world. In fact, Peter writes his book in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, to all those who reside as aliens in the world. And as aliens, they don't belong. And he missed this five areas where these people come from that he wrote to. So they're trying to describe for us that Jesus foregoes all those creature comforts, and he asks us maybe to do the same for him. In verses 21 to 22, we're going to learn that Jesus teaches that following him supersedes a disciple's devotion to his parents. And let me change that. It also supersedes a disciple's devotion to his family. In other words, if we're putting our family above our service to God, if we put our family above our allegiance to God, that is something Jesus said is in the wrong place. We don't have it right. We're going to talk about that. The issue we need to be thinking about here is this. As you and I prioritize our lives, who is at the top? As you and I think about who's in our life, who is at the top? Does family always or the majority of the time take precedence over my devotion to Christ in worshiping him and in serving him? Do I forego the ministry because I have a family thing to do and does that happen all the time? 
Uh, I know that as a pastor uh, that it happens all the time where you're asked to make a decision between going to a family reunion, for, perhaps, or staying at the church and ministering. Seems like my family always wanted to have uh, family reunions on Saturday and Sunday. Well, I'm, I'm a little busy on that time. I don't think we went to maybe more than one in all of our married, married years. I've missed many holidays with extended family because of ministry, like preaching and funerals. I've had funerals on Christmas Eve. People like to die around Christmas. I don't know why that is, but uh, I just expect it. In verse 21, another disciple said to Jesus, I will follow you. But Lord, before I get involved in that, I need to take care of my father who needs to be buried. So what uh, scholars debate here is that there is uh, a question as to whether or not the man's dad was already dead or he was saying, hey, I need to wait a while for my dad to completely die and then I'll bury him. Obviously, you always wait till they completely die before you bury him. But then, then I need to bury him, and then I'll come and follow you. So was his dad close to death, or he needed to be buried right then? It doesn't say. This man is called a disciple, not an apostle. So disciple in this context probably does not mean that he was asking to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. There were many people that followed Jesus, but there was only 12 apostles. There was lots of disciples. A disciple was a learner. Somebody that wanted to come alongside Jesus and let him be the one who instructs him. That's how they did higher education in those days. Paul himself uh, went to a school of Gamaliel, one of the teachers of Israel. And people want to go around Jesus. A disciple is a learner, a pupil. It is a person who constantly associates with someone who has pedagogical reputation for teaching and a particular set of values and views, and that's Jesus. Not all disciples were apostles, but all apostles were disciples. If they were just wanting to be reliable disciples, then that makes them people we most identify with in relationship to Jesus. In other words, that's more like where we're at. We're not going to be apostles of Jesus Christ. In verse 22, Jesus commanded him, follow me and allow the dead to bury the dead. I remember when I was in uh, college, I had an aunt that died clear halfway across the United States. My mom was insistent that I go. We'd been studying this passage in one of my Bible classes, and, and I had the gall to say, Mother, I'm going to let the dead bury the dead, which she took offense at. So, you know, I said I was calling her dead, you know. Uh, what does that mean? What's going on here? By the way, I didn't go to the funeral, and, and she was mad at me for quite some time. But anyway, Jesus commands him, follow me. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. Now, we don't know what this man did. The text doesn't tell us. What decision did he make? But Jesus uh, has a point revealed, I think, a little clearer uh, in a synoptic issue here in the book of Luke. In other words, uh, these, these guys write about a lot of the same things, but they see different things from different vantage points in the story. So at Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62, it says this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And we've talked about this guy. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now what's unique about that in verse 59 is, does Jesus actually look at people and say, follow me? Does Jesus actually call people and say, I want you to follow me? 
today? And the answer is yes, Jesus he's does. actually called Jesus and asked you to certain follow people me to come and be disciples. Today? And the answer is yes, he's actually called Jesus. And have you responded to certain people to come and be disciples? Yes, follow me. But he said, so here's the excuse. Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. Now, obviously, if you're a person that's going to bury a dead person, you're not really physically, literally dead. What kind of dead is he talking about? Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow, in other words, becoming a disciple, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you make up your mind you're going to go with Jesus and you're going to follow Jesus, the text tells us you better not look back and you better not go back. Those who do so are not fit for the kingdom of God. Once one makes that decision to be a disciple of Christ Jesus, if his heart remains in his past life with all of its allurements and its distraction, he is not fit for the kingdom of God. She is not fit for the kingdom of God. Wow, that's pretty pointed stuff. It seems a bit harsh to us, but then we're people that usually get our own way. It's foreign to our way of thinking, but it's what Jesus taught us. So the issue, my friends, today is what am I going to do with it? And then it's up to you. What are you going to do with it? Because we're all in the same boat. We're all disciples of Jesus. Well, what did Jesus mean, let the dead bury their dead? Well, he most likely meant death as in one who is spiritually obtuse or dull or insensitive to Jesus Christ and to God, which is to be spiritually dead. In other words, the work of burying the dead can be done by people who don't know Jesus. The work of burying the dead can be done by people who are not interested in spiritual things. But young man, if you're interested in spiritual things, then I want you to go right now and start telling people the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to go right now and get about the business. He could mean more clearly one who does not give up their priorities for, dis for discipleship, meaning the kingdom of God. Our priority is not burying the dead. It is preaching life to the living. It's reaching those who have breath in their lungs who don't know Jesus Christ and ha can have the new life with Christ. Um, I don't know if I ought to say this or not, but if I have a choice between a funeral and a wedding, I'll do, the, I'll do the funeral every day. I like funerals because they're a chance to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to people who are sitting in an auditorium looking at a coffin. And that coffin represents something. It represents the end of this life. And it represents that if I'm here and not out there in the audience... I better have made my decision right before this happened or sometime before that happened. It's too late to make it now. And I like to talk to people that might be thinking about death and might be wondering, I wonder how I can get to heaven when I die. And, of course, the answer is you trust that Jesus Christ paid for your sins on the cross and that he'll forgive you of your sins. And that's it. It's like Martin Luther said, by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's, that's the truth. Well, anyway, uh, I... I uh, if I've ever told that I can't share the gospel at a funeral, then I don't have time for a funeral. I've never had any family tell me, don't tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, most encourage it. Happy to do that. Do you really want to be a disciple of Jesus? Dr. Keener, I'm sorry, I want to do Dr. Blomberg first. He said this, 
Even more ironically, many who are alive postpone their response to the direct call of Jesus, he means to be a disciple, because of more pressing human allegiances. Dr. Don Carson at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School of New Testament said this, uh, little has done more to harm the witness of Christian churches than the practice of filling its ranks with every volunteer who is willing to make a little profession. Talk fluently of experience, but display little of it in terms of perseverance. Ouch. Dr. Keener said this, as the Arab Christian commentator Ibn Said remarked on this passage, the disciple does not understand that follow means Gethsemane and Golgotha and the tomb. And those things need to be taken into account. And I want you to listen to an early church father by the name of Ignatius, who was speaking to a group of Romans about this issue of discipleship, and he said this, Bear with me. I know what is expedient for me. Now am I beginning to be a disciple? May not of things visible and things invisible envy me that I may attain unto Jesus Christ? Come fire and cross and grappling with wild beasts, cuttings and manglings, wrenching of bones, hacking of limbs, crushing of my whole body. Come cruel torture of the devil, assail me. Only be it mine to attain to Jesus Christ. This stuff isn't easy. It's not even easy to talk about. It's a little harder even to do. Just turn over uh, to Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 39. Jesus said, and he who does not take his cross. By the way, you know what you do on a cross, right? <laughs> you die. You die to yourself, and you live for Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, he who does not uh, take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life, there's the cross, for my sake, will find it. Chapter 12, and verses uh, 46 to 50. This is all in your bulletin. While he was still speaking to the crowd, behold, his mother and his brothers were standing outside speaking, uh, seeking to speak to him. Get the picture? Jesus is in a building, perhaps a house. He's got a crowd around him, and uh, his mom and his brothers and sisters show up outside, and they say, hey, get word to Jesus in there that we're, wait we're waiting for him out here. We want to talk to him. You know why they were there? Because they, they realized that Jesus is, is looking like an insane man to all the people, the way he's talking and talking about being God and talking about all this stuff, they're actually there to maybe take him away and take him into custody and say, you need to settle down, you know. <clears throat> and Jesus stops and he says to the guy who told him, hey, your mom and brothers and sisters are out there. He said this in answer. Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples. If he was here, he would stretch his hand out to you. And he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother. We can say she is my brother and sister and mother. 
That's who belongs to Jesus. In other words, there's a family that is greater than your physical family, and it's the spiritual family, because it's with that family that we will live forever, and we'll work together forever. And that's why the Lord calls us the bride of Christ and the family of God, because we are family. Well, these two men today cover the problem with over-eager and under-eager would-be disciples who did not count the cost and whose motives were skewed. When it is all said and done, it must come down to me. What kind of disciple am I? I'm hoping you'll ask that question of yourself. I ask it of myself. We all know that Jesus wants us to be this. We all have the same information about what he said. The issue is, are we going to do what he said? So as I bring this uh, to a conclusion today, if you're looking in your bulletin as far as the applications go, there's other applications that we've already talked about in the text. Number one, discipleship costs something. Am I willing to be uncomfortable to be a disciple? Secondly, discipleship costs something. Am I willing to prioritize his kingdom over my own? And thirdly, discipleship costs something. Am I willing, I'm sorry, what am I willing to do to be one of his disciples? What am I willing to do? And those aren't my questions. (laughs) Those are questions asked by King Jesus. We're going to take the last few minutes here and we're going to talk about uh, the table of the Lord. Uh, If you didn't get a communion uh, cup uh, and want one, we can get you one. Is there anyone here who didn't get one that wants one? Okay. So I'm going to guess everybody has one that wants one. We believe uh, in our church not that the body and blood of Jesus Christ are literally present in the uh, communion elements. We believe that they represent the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our church, we believe you don't have to be a part of us. You don't have to be a member here. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then please feel free to take communion with us. If you belong to Jesus, uh, then this communion is for you too. Jesus said this. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And we take that to mean this represents my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. What covenant? The new covenant that he talked about in Jeremiah 31. The new covenant that he inaugurated with the shedding of his blood and his death and his burial and his resurrection. That covenant. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a member of that covenant. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Notice, for forgiveness of sins. Maybe I didn't tell you where I'm at. I'm in Matthew 26, 28. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It says after they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What we're saying here today is that we believe that by partaking of, of, the, of the bread and the cup, that you're saying, I made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I am uh, not, not re-upping, but I am showing that commitment by partaking of this, this table because it's Jesus' table. 
And it says one day we'll eat with him a part of this table more, more so in the kingdom of God. So what I'd like you to do is uh, uh, spend some time while Becky is playing. Uh, talk to the Lord. If you have some sin on your heart you want to take care of with him, take care of it. But this is not really a place about guilt and introspection. It's about the joy of being a child of God. So spend some time in prayer. Think about these things. Brad's going to ask the blessing on the bread, and then we'll partake together. This is, the, this is the bread that represents the covenant that Jesus Christ made with us. Do this in remembrance of him. Steve, would you ask the blessing on the cup, please? Let's prepare to take the cup together. Jesus said that this represents his blood, the blood of the covenant, and in a symbolic way, when we drink this, we are saying that we are in covenant with him. Let's take it together.
final song today is going to be Jesus Paid It All. Um, it's in your hymnal in 210. We are going to sing the first and fourth verse. 